Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.07 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 18th of February, 2021. This is episode 368 of Bitcoin, and it's still cold down here in Texas. Very cold. Although, it looks like we're going to be starting to warm up over the weekend. And consequently, because of the cold, my children have been have been let out of school for this entire week. We got word yesterday that they're just saying, fuck it, close it today and tomorrow, and we'll we'll try to crank it all back up on Monday. <laughs> okay, so Texas electrical grid issues aside, apparently we're not the only state having problems. Why? Well, because that cold, I saw a map, a chill map, that cold air literally ends up being the entirety of central United States, almost coast to coast. Everybody's got problems right now, man. Even the states that are prepared for winter weather have problems. So all these people that are picking on Texas, I don't, I don't even understand that. It's not like we haven't been through this before. Texas has had cold snaps before and it causes problems. Why? Because our infrastructure isn't designed for sub-zero shit, dude. Why? Because it's hardly ever sub-zero. The last time we had this was 50 years ago. So I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't get it. I saw a lot of people that were just like going after Texas, and apparently we're crybabies. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't see a whole lot of people crying. I just see a whole lot of people who are cold, man. That's that's all I see. Anyway, <clears throat> with all that, let's talk about oh, world enemy number one, Bill Gates. Yeah, let's go ahead and do this shit. Uh, He apparently has taken a neutral view on Bitcoin. Tim Copeland tells us about it from Decrypt.co. He's writing this one today. Microsoft founder Bill Gates told CNBC today that he has taken a neutral stance on Bitcoin, but expressed some views that money is moving toward a digital future. Nah, you think? Quote, I don't own Bitcoin. I'm not short Bitcoin. So I've taken a neutral view, he said. Dude, if you don't own Bitcoin, you are short Bitcoin. I don't know how else to tell you, but yeah, dude, Bill, you're short. The philanthropist pointed out that his foundation has been using some forms of digital currency in developing regions, but not cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. He explained that the currencies they use can be reversed and that they are transparent. He appeared to compare these currencies to Bitcoin, stating that they're not about tax avoidance or illegal activity, of course. On Bitcoin, he noted that market speculation is the main driver of its price and that he's unable to know how it will fare in the future. Quote, but Bitcoin can go up or down just based on the mania or whatever the views are, and I don't have a way of predicting how that will progress. Well, Bill, last I heard, you're not an economist. You're not a scientist. As far as I know, in, in fact, starting when you were a teenager, I remember that you stole a car and got busted for it 
arrested for it, and you were a teenager. And then you stole without, well, you basically, you took without asking permission Xerox's um, uh, uh, user interface and their operating system and then made it your own. I mean, you know, Apple's, um, <clears throat> you know, Apple's guy did the same thing, but, you know, he, he got licensing rights. He did. He actually, you know, asked uh, the guys over at Xerox and said, hey, man, I think this would make a pretty good user interface for, for uh, the, uh, the onset of the personal computing age. Uh, you mind if we work out a deal? They said, yeah, sure. Shit, yeah. <clears throat> Much to the chagrin of Xerox, uh, because, you know, they should have done it themselves. But with, with, with all that said, uh, Bill stole that operating system and, and he created you know, he created the, the, well, he created, he borrowed it and used it to build the interface systems for, for PCs. And he got famous and, and then the internet comes along and there's this, these little guys called Netscape. And, uh, with this massive legal machine that he had been building ever since he started Microsoft, uh, he crushed them in, in, in open court. And, um, you know, it, pretty much, you know, his entire Bill Gates's entire career basically started and has continued to thrive on theft. Fuck this guy. Why anybody worships this dude, I don't know, because the only thing he was smart enough to do was understand that what he was doing was illegal and he can get away with it as long as he has a large enough legal team. And that's one of the very first departments that he started developing in Microsoft was protection for himself against all the people that he was wronging in the world, all the intellectual property that he stole, all the bullshit that he foisted upon us. And now here he is talking about climate, Bitcoin, uh, economics, uh, you know, like charting. He's apparently now a, a, a TA guru, you know, fuck this guy. Stop worshiping this dude. He's an, honestly, I don't think he's all that smart. He's smart in that one regard that he built a legal team and, and funded it with all of the ill-gotten gains that he had, very much like Colombian drug lords do, okay? So let's continue on. <clears throat> this is not the first time Gates has spoken about Bitcoin. In fact, just under three years ago, Gates was more pessimistic on Bitcoin than he is today. Quote, as an asset class, you're not producing anything, and so you shouldn't expect it to go up. It's kind of a pure greater fool theory type of investment, Gates said on CNBC Squawk Box back in May of 2018. He added that he'd short Bitcoin if only there was an easy way to do it. Well, even at that time, there was, Bill, so you're not that smart again. Gates also called Bitcoin and ICOs crazy speculative investments. <clears throat> he added that uh, he once was gifted Bitcoin as a birthday present only to sell it some years later. Last year, Gates was one of several high-profile names whose Twitter account were hijacked in a scam designed to pry cryptocurrency away from his followers. Okay, so there you go. There's Gates. <clears throat> now, if you haven't heard, Gates has weighed in on meat. You want to hear a little bit more about that? Let, let's go, because it gives, it gives some context to just how evil this dude is. This is part, uh, this is going to be an excerpt of technologyreviews.com's interview with Bill Gates. The question here is, in the book, you cover a broad array of hard-to-solve sectors. The one I still have the hardest time with in times of fully addressing it is food. 
The scale is massive. We've barely begun. We fundamentally don't have replacements that completely eliminate the highly potent emissions from burping, livestock, and fertilizer. How hopeful are you about agriculture? Now, before I give him give you the answer, <clears throat> if you don't know, you must understand at this moment, Bill Gates is the largest landholder of agricultural land in the United States. And that actually, may, I think that makes him the largest la agricultural landholder in the world. So keep that in mind. You're here, here, here's going to be his answer from a guy who owns more farmland in the United States than anybody else in the world. <clears throat> there are companies including one in the Breakthrough Energy Ventures portfolio called Pivot Bio that significantly reduces the amount of fertilizer you need. There are advances in seeds, including seeds that do what legumes do. That is, they're able to convert nitrogen in the soil into compounds that plants can use biologically. But the ability to improve photosynthesis and to improve nitrogen fixation is one of the most underinvested things. Okay, before I continue, let me stop right there. He doesn't know fuck all about what a legume does, okay? The nitrogen isn't in the soil. The nitrogen is in the air. Legumes have this really cool ability to take nitrogen from the air and convert it into nitrogen-containing compounds that are then transferred to bacteria in the nod nodules of their roots that further convert it into a form of nitrogen that plant roots can use. Okay, Bill, that's the textbook way that legumes function. You're an idiot. Stop talking about stuff you know nothing about. And guys, it gets it gets worse. But I'm going to say one other thing. There are I'm going to say this one again. There are advances in seeds, including seeds that do what legumes do. We could just use legumes. The amount of things going on in regenerative agriculture right now will blow your mind. And yet here we have a guy who needs to genetically modify a fucking corn plant to act like a legume instead of figuring out a way to use the natural systems that we already have in a symbiotic fashion that is good for the earth. You want to be good for the earth? Don't do what Bill Gates does. Don't listen to what he says. Continuing on, in terms of livestock, it's very difficult. <clears throat> there are all the things where they feed them different food, like there's this one compound that gives you a 20% reduction in methane emission, but sadly, those bacteria in their digestive system that produce methane are a necessary part of breaking down the grass. <clears throat> okay, most cattle in the United States are not fed on grass. Bill, they're fed on corn, which uses an immense amount of fertilizer. Get it straight. And so I don't know if there will be some natural approach there. I'm afraid the synthetic protein alternative like plant-based burgers will be required for at least the beef thing. Now, the people like Memphis Meats who do it at the cellular level, I don't know that that will ever become economical. But Impossible and Beyond have a roadmap, a quality roadmap, and a cost roadmap that makes them totally competitive. As for scale today, they don't represent 1% of the meat in the world, but they're on their way. And Breakthrough Energy has four different investments in this space, making the ingredients very efficiently. So yeah, this is the one area where my optimism five years ago would have made this steel and, and cement the three hardest. 
Now, I've said I can actually see a path, but you're right in saying people, you can't have cows anymore talk about a politically unpopular talk about a polit- politically unpopular approach to things. He's getting there, guys. Question, do you think plant-based and lab-grown meats could be the full solution to the protein problem globally, even in poor nations? Or do you think it's going to be some fraction because of the things that you're talking about, the cultural love of the hamburger and the way livestock is so central to economies around the world? Answer, for Africa and other poor countries, we'll have to use animal genetics to dramatically raise the amount of beef per emissions for them. Weirdly, the U.S. livestock, because they're so productive, the emissions per pound of beef are dramatically less than emissions per pound in Africa. And as part of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation's work, we're taking the benefit of the African livestock, which means that they can survive in heat and crossing in the monstrous productivity, both on the meat side and the milk side of the elite U.S. beef lines. <laughs> I won't comment. I, I just, let's just go on. So no, I don't think the poorest 80 countries will be eating synthetic meat. I do think all rich countries should move to 100% synthetic beef. That means you, dear listener. That means you. You can get used to the taste difference, and the claim is that they're going to make it taste even better over time. Oh, yay! Like ice cream, maybe. Eventually, the green premium is modest enough that you can sort of, you can sort of change the behavior of people or use regulation to totally shift the demand. Oh, make it illegal, Bill, to, for a steak? Thanks for for looking out for me and my family there, Bill. So for meat in the middle income and above countries, I do think it's possible, but it's one of those ones where, wow, you have to track it every year and see, and the politics are challenging. There are all these bills that say it's got to be called basically lab garbage to be sold. They don't want us to use the beef label because it's not beef, Bill. It's not fucking beef. Okay, anybody who anybody left out there in this audience that still thinks this guy is like sort of okay, please stop listening to me. I mean, I, I got I got a bare amount of listeners as it is, but honestly, me and you, if you agree with what's going on in in with his answers, we don't belong together. Hey, man, it's not you, it's me. <laughs> Or it's Robinhood, which is going to allow deposits and withdrawals of crypto, including, yep, Dogecoin. From Coindesk's Sebastian Sinclair, we have this one. Uh, Robinhood says it plans to enable the withdrawal and deposit of cryptocurrencies, including Dogecoin. In a tweet Wednesday, the app provider said it fully intends to provide the extra functionality, though no date is provided for when that might be activated. Currently, traders can only buy and sell crypto assets within the app, according to the support page. The tweet, <clears throat> they they give out a tweet, okay, but anyway, the, that's Robinhood. The, the tweet came an hour before Bloomberg published an article alleging Robinhood was the owner of the world's largest Dogecoin wallet. Robinhood stated in the tweet that it does not currently invest in cryptocurrency or use any customer cryptocurrency for its own benefit. <laughs> yeah, right. The popular mobile trading platform has been under fire recently after it's it limited its users' ability to buy cryptocurrencies and certain volatile securities, including GameStop stock last month. Robinhood cited extraordinary market conditions as the primary reason. The company raised $3.4 billion in an emergency fund during the volatile period. The decision to limit instant buying power for crypto meant users had to resort 
to using settled funds for their purchases as Coindesk reported at the time. Okay, so given those two things that, oh, they're gonna allow deposits and withdrawals of cryptocurrency. First of all, why would you deposit? <clears throat> just buy just buy Bitcoin. If you're depositing anything else, then you're, you're shitcoining and, and you should feel bad about yourself. Um, they're not, go, they're, you do, don't, do not use this or any other service that does not give you the private keys. Okay, just don't. Hell, even Elon knows better than that shit, right? So this whole thing with Robinhood doing this means pretty much jack diddly squat. So I, I don't know if this is just a PR move to get in the good graces <clears throat> of cryptocurrency people or not. I, I don't know. They basically they basically blew all of their you know goodwill uh, a few weeks ago when they pulled all their their crap. So. I would not expect them to, I don't know, I wouldn't expect them to be good custodians at all of your cryptocurrency. In fact, not only is there a chance that you might not ever get it back if you do deposit or, or keep it with uh, your Bitcoin with them, but they will probably do something like <clears throat> leverage against it to short the actual fund or the, I'm sorry, the, the actual uh, underlying asset itself, because I would not put it past them, right? So Osprey's Bitcoin trust is not, set to compete with grayscale says the ceo <clears throat> scott chipolin is going to tell us about it from decrypt.co when digital asset solutions company osprey funds launched its osprey bitcoin trust two days ago it entered a market dominated by a few big players the biggest among them is of course grayscale investments which has notched up 40 billion dollars in assets under management across its various trusts but according to osprey fund ceo greg king the fund is not set up to compete with the likes of Grayscale. Instead, King wants the Osprey Bitcoin fund to make investing in Bitcoin easier for people who, while they may have limited exposure to the market previously, have never fully embraced cryptocurrencies. Quote, our core audience is someone who may have a wallet, who may have dabbled in crypto, but the bulk of their assets are managed by an advisor. We think Bitcoin is a very compelling additional exposure and we're just trying to make it easier for them at a reasonable price. King explained that his bullish outlook on Bitcoin is what fundamentally led him to launching the Bitcoin fund. Quote, not only does Bitcoin have immense long-term appreciation potential, it also provides portfolio diversification, uh, King said. In addition, he said that Bitcoin has reached or is about to reach the point where enough people believe it is a store of value. And he suggests it is very unlikely for the cryptocurrency to take a step backwards now. Well, you need to be in Bitcoin for a while longer, pal. Anything can happen. While Osprey's funds, uh, Bitcoin Trust is barely into its third day of trading. King, who has also launched several ETFs in his career to date, suggested the trust could be next in line to be repurposed into an ETF. Quote, we have big hopes for the trust and people always ask about ETFs. If it becomes clear that an ETF is doable, We'll be certain to take a close look at that, King said, adding, I can't promise anything, but it is possible to convert these things into ETFs. Guys, if you are not already planning your ETF at this moment and have your papers drawn up or getting your papers drawn up, then you are behind the curve. You are behind the curve and all of you should be, I don't know, put up on a telephone pole. According to King, Bitcoin has already laid the groundwork for a bright future because now that it has become widely accepted as a store of value, it is unlikely to take a step. Oh, whoops. I'm sorry. I already read that one. To a certain extent, once something becomes widely accepted as a store of value, then it tends to be difficult to dislodge. 
King said. He added <clears throat> that institutional interest in Bitcoin is generating remain, or uh, God, hold on. He added that the institutional interest Bitcoin is generating remains in its early stages, but with Tesla stepping in and picking up 1.5 billion of Bitcoin, that is all starting to shift. Yeah, the number that I keep hearing about and that I've heard about <clears throat> pretty much over this, uh, this uh, all of this year, of course, because we're only into February, and almost all of last year was the $1 trillion market capitalization mark for Bitcoin by itself. That at $1 trillion, the rest of finance says, okay, we're, we're, we're you know, we don't have to, to, you know, worry about this shit anymore. It's solid. So when Bitcoin hits $1 trillion as the uh, market cap, and we're damn close, we're at like $950 billion in market cap, I think. We'll, we'll get to that when we, when we run the numbers, but uh, we'll actually, hold on for a sec. I can probably look for it right here. Let's see what we're doing. We're at $963.8 billion in market cap. Okay, so we've got, you know, we only have a, a few handfuls of billions of dollars to run through before we hit a trillion. And then we're going to have to stay above a trillion for a little while. Okay, it's going to have to be a good solid. It can't just like peak, you know, above a trillion and then go back to like 980 80 billion. It's going to have to hit a trillion, dive back down, which is what I suspect. And then it will uh, uh, clip a trillion again and dive back down a little bit less. And then it will clip it for a third, possibly a fourth time. And then it will just kind of stay above. And after about a month of that, yeah, all those people that went to Michael Saylor's uh, little deal, they'll start buying Bitcoin. So that's the way that's going to work. <clears throat> Swiss Canton of Zug. Yeah, that's right. Z-U-G. That, that's a Swiss Canton of Zug starts accepting tax payments in cryptocurrency. Helen Parts from Cointelegraph writes the following. Uh, the Bitcoin Suisse, a local crypto broker that enabled the new opportunity in partnership with the Canton, announced on February the 17th that the crypto payment option has rolled out this week. The administration of the Canton of Zug placed an official memo for the new tax payment option on its official website, providing detailed video instructions for paying tax bills with cryptocurrency. Quote, <clears throat> this step forward for crypto adoption has been enabled by the pioneering work from the Zug Canton Cantonel, Cantonal, yeah, Cantonal Tax Office using the Bitcoin Swiss crypto payment solution. It is yet another sign of innovation in blockchain nation CH. Bitcoin Swiss wrote. The Canton of Zug initially announced its plans to start accepting crypto for tax payments in September of 2020, offering the new payment option to local companies and individuals, widely referred to as the Crypto Valley for its positive stance towards crypto. The Canton of Zug started experimenting with crypto payments about five years ago. In May of 2016, the city of Zug piloted Bitcoin payments for public services with a payment limit of up to 200 francs. Zug is not the first location in Switzerland to support crypto tax payments. Zermatt, a municipality in the district of the Canton of Valais, rolled out a Bitcoin tax payment option <clears throat> in partnership with Bitcoin Suisse in January of 2020. So they ain't the Zug ain't the only one. So, you know, it's good to see it's good to see this. I, I hate it that I have to say the word cryptocurrency. I really, really do. It's just not going to go away. We can wish it away all we want, but it's just not going to go away. So all we can do is basically just continue to do what we've always been doing. 
<clears throat> and memeing Bitcoin into the existence and the minds and hearts of everyone around the world because honestly, it's the only one worth the shit. Everything else is so attackable, it's not even funny. Uh, Jack Dorsey's got some shit out here, man. He partners with a gentleman named Lamar Wilson to create more black Bitcoin millionaires. Jason Nelson's writing this one for Decrypt.co and says... Uh, it's pretty well known that lots of crypto people have moved into Clubhouse, the hot audio-based social media platform. The biggest group, Black Bitcoin Billionaires, which claims 17,000 members. Now, Square Incorporated, via its cash app, is partnering with group's organizer, Lamar Wilson, to create more Black millionaires through Bitcoin via Operation Satoshi Millionaire. The month-long campaign began February 4th and focuses on getting Bitcoin into the hands of more black families and educating people about Bitcoin. Quote, Cash App is very easy to use and it fits one of our principles of owning your coins because unlike PayPal and Robinhood, you can send your Bitcoin to your own wallet, Wilson told Decrypt. He noted that the app has been downloaded 30 million times and makes buying Bitcoin as easy as selecting Enable Bitcoin in the app. Quote, Cash App is a tool that a lot of black Americans use, added Isaiah jo uh, Jackson, who hosts black Bitcoin billionaires on Clubhouse. Quote, we wanted ease of use and to partner with a company that put their money where their mouth is. Jackson, the author of Bitcoin and Black America, has become a prominent voice in the Bitcoin community, bridging the gap between Bitcoin and people of color. Indeed, Square's CEO, Jack Dorsey, is a fan of Jackson's book and promoted it a year ago to his 5.2 million followers on Twitter. It was Jackson who first reached out to Dorsey to gauge his interest in his square partnering <clears throat> uh, with Black Bitcoin Billionaires Group. Quote, I talked to Jack personally, then Wilson and I talked to Brian uh, Grassdonia, the co-creator of Cash App, Jackson said. Jack and I have talked a few times before, so he loved the idea. Wilson is no stranger to building an online community around cryptocurrency. He funded the Coinda, a formerly Wakoinda Facebook group back in January of 2018. The group has more than 25,000 members and launched its own cryptocurrency, the CJ, named for Madam CJ Walker, a black entrepreneur who was the first female self-made millionaire in America. Wilson hopes that the current project will help advance the goal of exposing the community to crypto assets. Quote, the campaign to help narrow the generational wealth gap is just one step in the right direction, but expect more from black Bitcoin billionaires soon, he said in a statement. Both, both Zay and I believe this partnership with Cash App will set the tone for other corporate sponsors that want to provide more financial access to those often forgotten. San Francisco-based Clubhouse has become the go-to place for conversation on social media. Launched last March by Paul Davison and Rowan Seth, the audio-only platform was hosted uh, has hosted discussions including Elon Musk, Kanye West, and Mark Zuckerberg. You know, I've just found myself not being a fan of Clubhouse. I think it's just, I don't know. I mean, I don't, you know, if, if you like Clubhouse, hey, man, that's fine. You, you go for it, dude. But for some reason or another, I just get on there and I'm like, I don't know, man. I just, I don't know. I, I'll probably change my mind later. But for right now, it's, I, it just feels, I don't know, it feels weird. It feels like I'm eavesdropping, which is a dumb thing to say, I know. But it does. It feels like I'm eavesdropping and it's kind of, it kind of creeps me out. Now, here's one of the, here's one of the things I wanted, wanted to say about this. Because we're talking about, you know, a fairly large minority group in the United States and honestly around the world unless you get into, you know, straight up Africa itself. Um, 
this is an important step for Bitcoin, I believe. Um, and it's not, and honestly, I'm not coming at it from a social justice warrior. I'm talking about, I need warm bodies. I need like, what did my mentor used to tell me? I, he's like in his laboratory, what his, his thing was, is he needed asses in chairs doing research. That's what his main problem was. He couldn't find enough people to put those asses in chairs and pipette stuff out and, and you know clone cells and do all the stuff that we used to do in the lab. He was having problems with personnel. He couldn't find them. We need more people. And we're always going to need more people until the last human being on the face of this planet basically says, I don't want to have anything to do with fiat anymore because it's a bad system. It's easily gamed. It's a criminal endeavor at this point. And it didn't used to be, but it is now. And if you, if you don't agree with that, I'm sorry. It's just, I don't know what else to tell you. But along those lines, last summer, I went to Bitblock Boom and my, uh, Sister lives in a fairly, you know, really nice part of Dallas. It's like part of old Dallas, okay? And not too many blocks away, yes, within walking distance is, a, is the barrio, man. I mean, taco shops and like quinceanera, like, and wedding dress, you know, shops. And this is all Latin, like, you know, all Mexican-American, Latin-American-owned businesses, and smack dab in the middle of that is this little gas station. I walk in, I get gas, I walk in to go get a candy bar and walking into a, a walking into a convenience store or gas station in Dallas is so very much different than walking into the same thing in a town that has, you know, one tenth of the population. It's it's kind of it's it's just kind of weird because there's plexiglass guard, like bulletproof glass everywhere that's guarding the guy that's, you know, got the cash register because thievery in Dallas is just huge. It doesn't matter if it's in the barrio or not. But this, at the very back of this convenience store is two ATMs. One is fiat and one is Bitcoin. In the middle of the barrio, right? Place you may not expect it because you're like, okay, well, these guys, these guys are like, you know, they're low income. I mean, that's just a fact. I'm not, I'm not, you know, being a dick. I'm just stating a fact. These guys are low income. You go to any quote unquote barrio, you're not looking at really wealthy people. You're looking at some fairly poor fucking people, right? But they're okay. They're, they're happy. That's what, what I love about hanging out in the barrio, man, is that I get treated very well in the barrio. I, I mean, they're, they're nice to me. The food is good. Everything is like, you know, it's, it's a really neat little place. And honestly, I think that we should be targeting that with like Bitcoin stickers and anything else, anything else that we can get to get these people to get on our side. Because it doesn't matter whether you're a Mexican or black or if you don't believe in God or you believe in God so much that you could be classified as a cult member. It doesn't really matter. That's, that's not the ass I'm looking for. The ass in the seat I'm looking for is somebody who is just tired of having their life bled away from them through inflation. So they can't even remember the last time they went and you know got a paycheck and it wasn't basically made worthless a year later. The fact that they do it so slow or, or have done it so slow in the past seems to indicate that they're trying to, well, maybe if we do it slow enough, they won't notice. We, we notice, okay? We notice. So the Black Billionaires Club, awesome. 
I think we need to be moving in more into the bar, into the barrio. Why? Because there's going to be remittance going on back to Mexico and the rest of LATAM. And every time that remittance shifts from a fiat remittance rail to a cryptocurrency remittance rail or a Bitcoin remittance rail, let's be let's be honest here, then the message is received from the United States into all parts of South and Central America and Mexico. All right. Keep that in mind. Next time you're around like a city, find the barrio. Smack up, smack up a sticker. It doesn't matter what sticker. As long as it's got the Bitcoin emblem on it, I don't care. Throw it on a telephone pole, right? Do something. Let these people know that there's a way out because there is a way out. Let's run the numbers. CNBC.com forward slash markets. It is a sea of red. S&P 500 down almost a full point. NASDAQ uh, is down a point and a half. The Dow Jones Industrials is down, I don't know, 0.83. The FTSE is down over a point and a half. The Nikkei is down scant. And the Hang Seng is down a point and a half. Shanghai, however, is up one half. And the volatility index has skyrocketed almost 10 percentage points. Uh, let's see here. Oil is down 0.77 of a percent. It is now weighing in at $60.67 for a barrel of West Texas Intermediate. Natural gas swinging way low, 4.35 to the downside. Still going to cost you three bucks to get a thousand cubic feet of that. Gold is down scant. It's coming in at $1,770 per ounce. And silver is down uh, almost a full point. Uh, $27 an ounce for that. Let's talk about real money. Uh, Bitcoin has a price of $52,032. We're in consolidation phase. We have a low. Where's it going to be? Where's my low? My low is at GDAX, 51,673. Is there a high? I think I just read you my high. Yeah, I did. Uh, We have 340,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours. That's 14,000 transactions on average every hour with 569,000 BTC being sent in the last 24 hours. That's 23,700 BTC being sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 1.67 BTC and a medium transaction of 0.023 BTC, which is $1,200. Block times are low, nine minutes and 37 seconds, 1.8 BTC in fees on a per block basis and 162 BTC in fees on the entirety of the day. Uh, extreme, extreme rocketing to the upside in hash rate, 13 and a half percent to the upside brings us back to 152.6 exahashes per second. What's Doge doing? I don't know. Doge is at five cents. Stop being stupid. <clears throat> Clark has is Clark Moody is showing 76,500 transactions and it's going to take 96 blocks to clear all that. So mempool packed and stacked, buddy. We have a market capitalization st- sitting around $963.3 billion. And that means that we have eaten 8.35% of gold's market cap. Holy crap. One ounce of Bitcoin will buy you 29.0 ounces of gold. That's almost a full bar, dude. Oh, 
shit. 18,632,037.58 BTC are in circulation at this time. And 1,086 of that is in the Lightning Network. That is $56.1 million of capacity. And that's being run across 9,047 nodes with 38,164 channels. Tor capacity took a tick to the downside. 53.3% of the Lightning Network is run over Tor nodes of which there are 3,481 of them, and there are 579.26 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. We're going to start with Helen Parts from Cointelegraph. Russian crypto mining firm scrambles to meet foreign demand. Uh, this was written sometime early this morning. Global cryptocurrency mining operators are increasingly moving their equipment to Russia and the Commonwealth of Independent States as they chase lower energy prices. Igor Runitz, founder and CEO of Russian crypto mining firm BitRiver, told local news agency Commerçant Tuesday, or sorry, on Thursday, that the company is actively building up its power capacity to meet increasing demand from American and European investors. According to the executive, BitRiver has run out of spare capacity at its data centers, having fully reserved all of its power for the next 18 months. During this period, the company expects to co-locate mining equipment of total mining power estimated at one gigawatt hours. Oh, wow, that's, that's a lot. BitRiver, which operates the largest co-location services for Bitcoin mining in Russia in the CIS region, is now building two new data centers in Russia, including an 80 megawatt an hour facility in Krasnoyak and a 300 megawatt hour center in the Republic of Boyarta. I, one of these days, you know what? I'm just never going to learn how to pronounce these. I'm whatever. The company expects to deploy 100 megawatt hours by fall of 2021, meeting only half of expected demand. Oh God. The CEO noted that the growing demand is mainly coming from the United States and Europe with investors partly moving their operations from China, Africa, and Latin America. Oh, don't move them from Latin America, dude. <clears throat> we need that there seeking lower energy prices. But the main reason for the increasing demand is the ongoing crypto rally with prices hitting new records, Runnit stated. BitRiver has been already aggressively tapping the demand, setting up massive batch of Bitcoin miners in December of 2020. Nitka Vesev, founder of CIS mining market-focused forum Terra Crypto, said that many miners are actively moving their operations from China and the U.S. to CIS countries. The exec suggested that the growing demand is coming from investment strategies intending to distribute power among different continents. Hmm. Vasov said that mining operations in the United States and Canada are more expensive due to logistics and energy costs. Amid a parabolic spike in mining-generated rewards, crypto mining has become more popular than ever, which has caused a significant surge in crypto energy consumption. As previously reported, Bitcoin energy consumption has been at its highest historical level since late, of, late 2020, with the estimated annual consumption level staying above 75 terawatt hours for a record period of time. <laughs> okay, so, you know, it just dawned on me, though. You know, we keep talking about how Bitcoin solves many energy-related problems, everything from stranded energy to low utilization energy, such as like, you know, hydro hydropower that is in regions that are essentially unpopulated. Here's what I, I I'm going to make a prediction. I'm going to think, I'm going to say that mining operations 
will spawn new rural developments. I really do. And I think along with that rurality, if that's a word, you'll find new farming ventures, uh, cattle ranching operations, all manner of stuff. And if they're smart, if these regions are smart, they'll stay small and they'll stay more of a nodal type situation than, than a centralized behemoth like something like frickin' Houston, okay? If you're real smart, you'll do that. So why do I say it? Why do I say that it's gonna spawn some, some you know new towns and stuff? Because the infrastructure is gonna be laid. It's gonna be there. It's gonna be like this thing that it, they plop it down and they make sure that this thing gets power. It's not gonna take too much thought as to well, there okay, we'll have to build a couple of houses or at least a small, you know, like apartment building. God, please just do houses. And so the people that are, you know, the few people that are taking care of the place can, you know, can live here. And then all of a sudden a restaurant's gonna happen. But there's gonna be power, see? Because like a home, the 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 power, you know, ne- uh, necessary to run a home is not gonna take all that much from the Bitcoin mining operation. I just think that what's gonna happen is that the the Bitcoin is gonna roll out and it's going to prepare the land for people to live there. And where is it that these places are going? Out in the middle of nowhere. Out in the middle of nowhere to land that that basically nobody uses. Think about that, because there's a lot of people that are dying to get out of the cities. I think a lot of this is is starting to coalesce into a brand new paradigm, not just Bitcoin, not just new money, not just a new money that no that nobody can really jack with. Right? It's going to be all like we, we you heard me talk about Bill Gates and and his thought that cows are evil. You need to have ruminals on the land or the land dies. He doesn't understand that. This is a basic tenet of agriculture. And I'm not talking about commodity agriculture. I'm talking about land care. Without ruminal animals, you cannot, because it's not just that they lay down poop. They lay down the necessary soil bacteria on the ground to charge that land with a new batch of, of microbial genetics. Because where did those genetics come from? Well, they came from the soil in the first place. The cow, the, the grass seed is in the soil. It's already coated with a plethora of mycorrhizal funga or fungi. It's coated with thousands of different kinds of soil bacteria. As the blade of grass pops through the soil, guess what it's coated with? That very same microfauna. When the cow eats it, where does it go? It goes into the, one of the, you know, into four stomachs. And what happens there? It's a fermentation chamber. That's what they're designed to do. They're, the cows are doing exactly what they're designed to do when they eat grass. So <clears throat> that fermentation chamber, the fact that they're uh, warm bellies, that's a proper balanced pH, makes, makes a situation where the soil bacteria, even though it's not in the soil, is able to reproduce at a fanatical pace. And then what happens? It gets pooped out into high carbon containing and nitrogen containing substrate. And where does it go? It goes onto the soil. What happens? It gets incorporated into the soil with a brand new batch 
of microbial genetics because they've all been, you know, they've been having, you know, bacteria sex. And when they do that, you get new genetics. It's just part of evolution. This is the way, this is the way the earth works. Without those ruminals on the land, you're screwed. The land dies. Alan Savory proved that with the 40,000 elephants that he killed and he, he, it was his fault. And he admits that. And he's the first one to say, I got to go to the grave with that. But he saw in Africa exactly what that did to the land. Without those elephants on the land, and everybody was saying in the 70s, they're, they're destroying the land. How the hell could they be destroying the land? They were here before we were. <laughs> See, the people that are telling you not to eat meat and that cattle ranching is bad don't know the first thing about nutrition how food is grown and what it takes to keep land in a, in a way that is always productive. Do not listen to Bill Gates for the love of God. If you have anything to say about Bill Gates, please remind people that he's a thief. He started out thieving and he's thieving now. And these guys are probably thieving too, but it's funny because if you don't remember Long Island iced tea company, you may remember him after this. A Chinese tea company is pivoting to Bitcoin mining. Robert Stevens tells us about it from Decrypt.co sometime yesterday. Uh, the tea trade was never really about tea anyway. He's actually right. It really never was about tea. It was about expansion. And continuing in this age-old tradition of ex expedition and expansion is Urban Tea, a publicly traded baked goods and tea company based in Hunan, China, that's getting into crypto mining. And it wouldn't be the first. Urban Tea today installed as chief operating officer Feng Gan Zhao and as inter independent director Dr. Yunfi Song to lead and support the company's critical strategic expansion into blockchain and cryptocurrency mining. Zhao comes from the blockchain data center companies in Hong Kong and Singapore, according to a press release. And Song is a scientist at the Chinese Academy of Sciences with expert or experience in crypto mining and trading. Zhao will lead Urban T's blockchain and Bitcoin business plan, according to the firm. This just sounds bad. Urban T CEO Yi Long said in a statement that his company's burgeoning crypto mining biz comes as blockchain technology and cryptocurrency are gaining widespread popularity. Indeed, Bitcoin hit 50 grand for the first time just this week. The crypto switch is an uncharacteristic move for Urban T. The company founded in 2011 and with a market cap of $45 million has focused on T since it sold off its chemicals business in April of 2019. Since then, it's bought controlling stakes in a brand management company and a T supply chain management company and open stores in New York. And now out of nowhere, blockchain and Bitcoin mining. Quote, going forward, said Yi, we expect Urban Tea will start expanding into blockchain ecology, such as cryptocurrency mining, blockchain mine construction, and maintenance and cryptocurrency exchange operations. That's a lot of tea. Bold utterances, but Urban Tea would not be the first tea company to trundle down this path. Long Island Tea Corporation, a lemonade and non-alcoholic iced tea company, rebranded as Long Blockchain Corp. in December of 2017, just as Bitcoin hit close to $20,000. Announcing the rebrand, Long Blockchain Corp. said it was investing in opportunities that leverage the benefits of blockchain technology. Yeah, I remember all that shit. Around the time of the announcement, the company was desperately trying to keep its stock listed on public stock markets, facing off threats by NASDAQ. Shortly after its crypto announcement, its stock pumped by 500%.
Remember these times, people? If you don't remember these times, they were fun times. And if you're new to cryptocurrency, you're going to have your own stories to tell. You just got to stay in. And, and the longer you stay in, the more of these stories you're going to collect. But I was here for that. And <laughs> it was just as stupid then as rereading about it now. But as the crypto bubble popped, so did long blockchains mining ambitions. By February of 2018, when Bitcoin's price crashed, long blockchain scrapped its plans to buy crypto miners. By April, NASDAQ wiped it from traders' screens and long blockchain had to sell off its tea business. Since then, the company has been investigated by the FBI and the SEC over allegations of insider trading. The investigators thought that long blockchain was a pump and dump scheme pump a low cap stock to high heaven and cash out before the hyper train uh, hurdles towards hell. Still, during the bull run, long blockchain stock has increased tenfold. Oh my God. Urban T today closed trading up 15% following news of its Bitcoin plans. Yeah, there's just no, there's, there's just not, there's never going to be a dearth of idiocy in this space, guys. Uh, speaking of, Motley Fool added uh, Bitcoin to its 10x portfolio. Says it has a $500,000 price target. Well, if that's true, people, then why did you only sink $5 million into it? Yeah, it's a pump for ants, dude. Financial and investment advisory giant, the Motley Fool, has announced it will invest $5 million in Bitcoin with the expectation to arise to $500,000 price target. Announced earlier today via blog and Twitter post, the firm stated it won't be buying overpriced ETS, but will be buying Bitcoin directly. Okay, well, at least you got that part right. Currently ranked fifth globally in the investing category, according to SimilarWeb, and with 87 million website visits per month, the Motley Fool outlined three core reasons behind its purchase. Bitcoin is a better store of value than gold. It's an effective hedge against inflation, and it has potential to become a transactional asset. The firm will be investing in Bitcoin through its 10x real money portfolio as one of 40 assets that it predicts will provide a 1,000% return over the next five years. The firm has recommended the digital asset as a core holding to all its 10x members and has provided time for them to purchase BTC before the Motley Fool initiates its own purchase. Interesting. It added that in the coming weeks, the company will also be separately buying $5, millions, $5 million worth of Bitcoin on their own balance sheet. Due to the long-term commitment, the announcement explains the volatility of is of little concern. Quote, while Bitcoin may very well continue to be volatile in the short term, we think it has 10x potential from today's levels over the long term as part of a diversified portfolio. We plan to hold this Bitcoin investment for many years, end quote. Should the company's prediction prove true, it will see Bitcoin passing $500,000 within the next 15 years. <laughs> I don't think it's going to take that long. The Motley Fool says it has a solid track record with its investments. The Motley Fool has so far named 10 of the 40 investment picks for the 10x portfolio, with the others being cloud computing company Apian Corporation, Swiss biotech firm CRISPR Therapeutics, uh, cybersecurity firm uh, CrowdStrike, e-commerce, Etsy, and a whole bunch of other ones. So yeah, first of all, 500,000 in 15 years. Yeah, that's going to happen. I just think it's not going to take 15 years. And second of all, $5 million is basically chicken feed compared to what the Motley Fool has. They've been around for years. They have several products that they that are either subscription-based or you can buy their books or you can, I don't know, they 
got some kind of crowdfunding shit too, but basically it's their books and their brand has made them hundreds of millions of dollars over the past two decades. $5 million to them is chicken feed. So don't let it get, don't let the, that fact get away from you here. Uh, Safalo partnership enables direct crypto purchases from users bank accounts. Okay. This is Coindesk. Uh, it is Tanzil Akhtar is writing this one and says cryptocurrency exchange Safalo or Safalo, whatever, has teamed up with payments platform Klarna to bring open banking services to customers. Sweden-based Safalo announced Wednesday the new partnership allows its more than 180,000 users to directly purchase cryptocurrencies from their bank accounts. Klarna has access to more than 5,000 banks in 18 countries across Europe. This is why this is important because we're talking about Europe, not the United States, not Africa, not Latin America, Europe. Remember the ECB headed up by the other criminal, Christine Lagarde? They're not happy about cryptocurrency, especially not Bitcoin. They ain't going to be happy about this. Anyway, 18 countries across Europe, and they use a single API that complies with EU open banking regulations, according to Klarna's website. Quote, Klarna shares our vision of offering superior user experience without compromising security and compliance, says Frank Schul. CEO of Safelo, besides open banking is an exceptionally exciting area that will play a key role in our future plans. Okay, so the whole important thing here is you're talking about 5,000 banks in 18 countries, 180,000 users in a Sweden-based company uh, that is able to, to put their, their hooks out into all these different countries in Europe, right under the nose, or actually right in full view of the European Central Bank. And I guarantee you they are not happy about this. So we'll have to see what happens to Safalo after a while. But Kia Motors is the last one up. Uh, Kia Motors had a ransomware attack. Hackers demand $30 million in Bitcoin. The infamous Doppelpamer gang has struck again. This time, compromising sensitive data from the North American branch of the popular car manufacturer Kia Motors. The perpetrators have requested a ransom to be paid in Bitcoin as the total amount could go to 600 BTC or over $30 million. During the attack, the perpetrators infiltrated individuals, companies, and organizations uh, or organizations to encrypt or steal sensible information. They request a form of ransom to be paid, typically in Bitcoin, to provide the necessary encryption tools to the victims to regain access to the data. According to Bleeping Computer, Kia Motors America has become the latest victim of such attack. Headquartered in Irvine, California, KMA is a subsidiary of Kia Motors Corporation and has about 800 dealers in the United States. After a national IT outage that affected phone services, payment systems, owners' portals, and in internal sites, it became evident that the organization had been compromised. KMA explained that it had experienced, quote, IT outages involving internal dealer and customer-facing systems and said it was working on resolving those issues. However, Bleeping Computer showcased a ransom note left by Doppelpamer ransomware gang saying they had infiltrated the systems. Furthermore, the message reads that the perpetrators had compromised Hyundai Motor America, Kia's parent company, but there's no actual evidence of that situation. The gang has set up a Tor victim page asserting that they have stolen a huge amount of data and threatening to release it in the next two to three weeks unless KMA pays the ransom. As with previous similar situations, the perpetrators have requested the demand to be paid in Bitcoin. More specifically, they have asked for 404.58 BTC, which is worth about $21 million to be transferred within the next several days. However, 
If KMA fails to comply with the given time frame, the ransom will increase by 50% to 600 BTC, which is $31 million. Interestingly, KMA has sent a statement saying that they have not seen any evidence of a ransomware attack. The organization reaffirmed its stance that the issues have come from a regular system outage instead of an organized attack. Crypto Potato reported recently that the giant electronics manufacturer Foxconn experienced such an attack last year and the attackers requested about $34 million in BTC from them as well. So there you go. Nobody wants Ethereum. They want Bitcoin. They're sure as sure shit ain't asking for euros, Swiss francs, U.S. dollars. They're asking for Bitcoin specifically. They're not asking for Bitcoin cash. They're not asking for BSV or Bitcoin gold or Bitcoin diamond or Bitcoin rhodium or any of the other bullshit forks that we had to deal with in 2017 and the aftermath of all that. Okay. They're not asking for that. They're asking for Bitcoin. So the question is, why Bitcoin? Because it's just simply better money. And if my enemy does not recognize my money as money, then it's not money. If my corner, if my corner hooker does not take my money as money, then my money is not money. If my drug dealer, which is down the street from my corner hooker, does not take my money as money, then my money is not money. Okay, Bitcoin is for enemies. Why? Because it proves that it's money. At least it's one of the things that proves that it's money. It has value that people recognize, right? So when I read stories about Bitcoin being used as ransomware, I'm actually thankful. And, and yes, I have to deal with the fallout of all the idiots going, see, it's, it's illegal money. Yeah, well, they were using U.S. dollars before. How come we haven't made the United States dollar illegal? The United States dollar has been used for illicit transactions since before it was the world reserve currency, right? I guarantee you that the very first dollar minted probably passed three hands before it was used for something illicit in the colonies or actually post-colonies after the American Revolution, whenever it was that we printed our first dollar as legal tender in the United States, it passed three hands before it was used for something devious or nefarious. I guarantee it. Because that's, that's human nature. Doing illegal shit is not fundamentally caused by money. Illegal nature is fundamentally caused by somebody doing something that a group of other people said was illegal. Buying a sack of, of marijuana on the street for me is illegal. I, you know, at, at least in Texas. In Colorado, it's illegal. Why? Because that person is not licensed. They have to pay, they have to pay protection money to the government to be able to conduct business. What's the business? Selling an herb to a guy on the street who wants to put it in paper and smoke it. Okay, that's not illegal. Killing somebody, I think we can all agree should be illegal. Like removing the life from somebody should probably be illegal unless they are trying to impinge upon your life and your property or your family's property or your family members, any of that kind of shit. But if you just walk up to some Joe on the street and just knife that fucker, that needs to be illegal because you're, you're stealing his life and his future away from him. Okay. That's where illegal should be illegal. But me opening up a restaurant and not getting the proper health permits and continuing to uh, feed people, that would be considered illegal. However, I use my kitchen to feed three other people, other human beings every single day in my house, and I do not have a license for that. 
So how is it that that's illegal or not illegal? But if I wanted a food truck, I have to spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to get the proper permits and health certificates and all that shit. And if I do it, I would be considered illegal, right? Again, this all boils down to the fact that money isn't what causes people to do illegal shit. It's I do something that a group of other people have determined is illegal and therefore I can be impinged upon by doing it. It has nothing to do with the money. All right, that's the rant and it's the end of the morning roundup. Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by, as usual, Dad Says Jokes. I was researching about atheism. Turns out it's a non-profit organization. Get it? (laughs) Profit? Oh, okay, whatever. Um, Do not listen to the quote-unquote alpha males, which are really just a bunch of beta cucks hiding behind real alpha males, such as really mean lawyers who don't give a shit about the humanity of other people. Um, I'm talking about Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. These, these people do illegal shit all the time. And like I was just saying about a group of people deciding that, you know, doing X is illegal. Well, there's another caveat on that. If you got enough money to buy them off or scare the piss out of them or make it where it's going to be a really, really like long, hard slog through filth and, and a lot of time consumption. Yeah, you're going to be okay. And that's where, again, where money comes in. Money facilitates being able to protect yourself against bullshit, you know, against bullshit on all sides. What Bill Gates is doing is reprehensible, though. What he has done is reprehensible. He destroyed Netscape. Now, it was Netscape's fault for initiating that attack because they are the ones that were the plaintiffs in that lawsuit case. However, what Bill Gates did to them was reprehensible. They He destroyed their company. He made sure that his legal team was so well fortified and so well funded that there was no escape for Netscape. All right? And he destroyed them. And it didn't matter because I don't use any Microsoft products to surf the web. I use like a Chrome-based uh, Brave browser. And no, Microsoft doesn't have anything to do with Chrome. Sure, there might be a couple few lines of code that was developed by a Microsoft engineer that's floating around in there somewhere, but it's not a Microsoft product. It's not a Microsoft project. I've never, I mean, the last time that I used Internet Explorer, which is what came out of the whole Netscape debacle, shit, that was so long ago, I can't even remember the last time I used it. Whenever it is that I got a brand new, I had to put a brand new image on a computer that was Microsoft Windows-based, I did everything I could to sync uh, Internet Explorer and strip it straight off. Because I think that was one of the provisions of uh, the lawsuit, even though that Netscape lost. I think it was that the judge said, you have to take uh, Internet Explorer and you have to make it standalone. It cannot be part of the operating system itself. And ever since then, I, if I remember correctly, I've been able to strip Internet Explorer directly off the computer because I don't even want it on the hard drive. Yeah, I know. I'm a Windows user. I need to stop that shit. But in either event, don't trust what these guys are saying because they they literally don't know what they're talking about when it comes to land care. If you want to destroy the land and make a dust bowl, which we're going to we're going to end up getting a dust bowl no matter no matter what we do. 
because the land is already dying because we've already taken cattle off of land and put them into CAFOs. Uh, that's uh, uh, confined animal feeding operations because the the bovines and all the rest of the ruminals are basically not on are, are not able to walk around and do their thing the land is dying because it's not being regenerated and if bill gates gets his way it's going to get even worse he doesn't he doesn't have the time to read all the stuff that he's read and all the stuff that I read as, you know, about regenerative agriculture. And there's a lot of guys on, on Bitcoin Twitter that you need to get a hold of when it comes to ranching and have a Bitcoin mindset. Untapped growth, I would start there. I would start with at untapped growth and, and follow that account and watch what he's doing. It's very interesting. With that said, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.